0: It'll be close anyway. (laughs)
1: a podcast about culture and politics in the South and what's going on this week. Um, With me, as always, is David Dykes. Hello. And Chad Watson is on assignment. Uh, I'm Wes Cheek. I'm here in the basement at Tulane, where it might start torrential rain any moment, so we'll see if I make it out. And I'm in a garret in central
0: Mexico, where I'm expecting it to rain About the 12th of
1: June. Is it an actual garret? Does it count as a garret?
0: Well, it's um, uh, my room is on the top floor of the building, and it has a dome on top, so it's sort of like a garret. Mm -hmm.
1: I just had to give my lecture about Mesoamerican ancient architecture this week, and I forgot I haven't studied that in like five years so i made it through but it wasn't pretty is it mostly mayan uh well it's got teotihuacan in it so that's not mayan so it was like three mayan sites and uh teotihuacan oh okay and no aztec stuff at all no because that would be too far in the future to get to because aztecs are always way later than people think right they're like 1500s
0: yeah, yeah, they, right. they actually, uh, well, 1492 is when they were, so about 1300, I think, is when they first moved into the area, and it was mm-hmm. the 1400s before they started doing the mega constructions and stuff, I think.
1: Yeah, there is, there is a uh, student in class who asked, like, I always wonder, like, what would have happened... Um, if like Spanish colonialism had not come and like wiped out the Aztecs, what would America look like? And I was saying like um, this might not be the right thing to say, but it would look like Aztec colonialism.
0: Well, yeah the the ideas uh, the idea that Europeans are the only people who ever committed genocide or uh, colonized areas ignores an
1: awful lot of history. But yeah, the Aztecs are pretty pretty brutal. Yeah. It's not like, I mean, if was going to be Spanish colonialism versus the Aztecs in Mexico, I'm going to root for the Aztecs, but they were still a pretty brutal regime. I don't know. Nobody
0: else in Mexico rooted for the Aztecs. <laughs> that was part of the, the fact that everybody else wanted them dead was uh, part of what made it an easy job for the Spaniards.
1: Well, some of the reading I was doing for this lecture said that it was like part of the key to the Aztecs defeat was both their strength and their arrogance and that they assumed that because they conquered everyone, everyone then supported them. Yeah. It's like, or no, didn't dare de- de- not to. Yeah. So, the, the, the interesting thing about teaching Mayan architecture and I like teaching it is because I always try to tell them, like you have to like condition your brain to not trying to understand it because there's no, there's really no cultural connection to anything that you understand as a architecture student in 2018 in america oh that's interesting
0: i've never been actually to a mayan site i haven't gone out to yucatan i just know teotihuacan and i know the uh well you know i know the anthropology museum in mexico city so i haven't been to a site but i've seen a lot of stuff from the sites and and that uh, museum's
1: supposed to be great right
0: it's pretty incredible. And I want to go to, there's one in Veracruz, in Jalapa, Veracruz, that's supposed to be really great. They say a lot of people stop there on their way to the beach, and then they actually end up spending an extra day there because they go to the museum.
1: And it's so cool yeah, that they the beach? add an extra day in. I would do that. I would just go to the museum and stay there. You know, I guess our last... We have a little delay, and so I guess our last podcast was pre-Mardi Gras, and now yeah. here we are post-Mardi Gras. And as you know, every carnival season, your world changes just a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm, I didn't miss it quite as much this year as I usually do,
0: because I was hanging out with friends here and having a, a good time uh, that week, but uh, it's not that I wasn't well, thinking you're, of You're it. having...
1: You were having Mardi Gras then, if you were hanging out with people and having a good time.
0: Well, and I was hanging out with one of the guys who I used to always hang out at Mardi Gras with. Uh, Joseph Boyden mm. was here, and uh, we hung out for several days. He was here for the Writers' Conference. I told a story at the Writers' Conference. That was fun. Um, I, oh, good. I would give myself a C-plus on my performance and a solid B on the story. It was about a mm. drag queen I used to know who had worked in the 1940s in a freak show, um, mm. and it was a tall tale thing, but it was actually a true story. But it was so outrageous that um, uh, it seemed to me like it fell into the category of a tall. tale.
1: Mm. Well, I had the Mardi Gras was weird this year for, every, and I've heard everyone say this pretty much. It was so early this year that like no one was ready for it. And while it was fun, it was strange, and so everyone's kind of ready for next year when we have a good old march, Mardi Gras, oh, uh, yeah, I always say I'm gonna try to make it
0: back, so I think this time I'm not even gonna say that. We'll just see what happens next year.
1: yeah I mean it it was just like it was there were still Christmas trees like out on the curb while Mardi Gras was happening it was it was an odd time of year and it was really cold and rainy every parade we did was uh, really cold and rainy Um, which it ended up being fun like because you warm up in the midst of it but it's not usually the funnest part of a parade for me is like lining up like the two or three hours you're just sitting around Um, but that was miserable this time so the, the parades were fun, and we did a new one we called um, Dead Beans, which is a break-off from the Red Beans Parade, which was just like kind of a second-line bar crawl through mid-city parade that we got to lead, which was great. It, it was fun, but we there's always one standout Mardi Gras thing that happens, and last year it was when my crew were trying to get from the end of our parade across town to Chewbacca's and we got stuck behind Chewbacca's and couldn't cross it. So we put on our our costumes back on and jumped in Chewbacca's and just marched with them until we got kicked out. Uh, That was good. This year we didn't have that, but we did have, we, at the end of our parade, we've got to get our trailer back to the warehouse that's kept in, but we are on the other side of, um, other side of the parade. So, We have to get the trailer up onto the interstate for, like, one exit, Um, but everyone rides in the back of the trailer to get back to the warehouse, so we have a bunch of people dressed as luchadors being pulled behind a truck up onto the interstate, uh, and... One of the guys in our crew has started doing a home brew for Mardi Gras, and we have it, like, mounted in a kegerator on the trailer. And as we're up on the interstate, a cab pulls up next to us, and a guy leans halfway out the cab window, and he said, do you guys have beer? And Adam, who's in our crew, said, hey, man, yeah, you want a beer? And goes over and, like, pours the guy a beer out of the kegerator and passes it out the side of the trailer into the taxi window going down I-10. That's
0: good. That's good. That was my mar-
1: That was pretty good. That was a good Mardi Gras memory for this year. Um, also in New Orleans news uh, this week, Mr. Okra passed away. I don't know if you noticed. I that.
0: saw that people put it up on social media. Uh, he always came mm-hmm. through my neighborhood. I guess he always came through all the neighborhoods, but uh, when I lived in the Bywater, he was a staple mm-hmm. there.
1: Yeah, I was trying to explain it to my class, saying like it's kind of he's the last of the people in New Orleans who kind of go around and hawk their products like with a song, like a, yeah. I don't know if that's a word for that. And in Japan, that's pretty frequent. Like that's a thing. Like every every different product has its own song. Like you have a different song for like um, uh, like roasted potatoes, and a different song for like kerosene, and a different song for the uh, things you hang up laundry on. Uh, is Mexico? I, I'm assuming Mexico has that as well.
0: Mexico has um, different signals. Like there's a the sweet potatoes they sell off of a. A uh, big steam pressure cooker that they cook them in, and so they let steam out, and there's a steam whistle that lets oh, you know yeah, that uh, sweet potatoes are in the neighborhood, and mm-hmm. there's a little uh, pan flute that they play for the knife sharpener <laughs> There's just clanging on a big chunk of metal for the trash guy, uh, and then there's people <laughs> uh, sort of shouting, singing for cacahuates, um, uh, which are peanuts. Oh and yeah, elotes, which is corn on the cob, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of different, lot of different signals so you know what, what's going by on the street. I remember when I I forgot I was a about days. That was my uh, favorite. There was a kind of cultural outreach for me mm-hmm. uh, uh, because I was a little Appalachian kid, and so they were trying to bring us out of the dark ages, and uh, they taught us about. Um, opera and musical theater, and I remember um, that they taught Porgy and Bess, and uh, they were playing um, the street vendors uh, calling out that were apparently Mm -hmm. the, um, I guess, the inspiration for some of the songs in Porgy and Bess, and... Mm -hmm. I guess it stuck. I guess it worked to the out, Appalachian outreach work because I still remember it now.
1: <laughs> I had forgotten about the Cacahuates uh, song, which was my favorite, my brief visit to Mexico. Cacahuates. <laughs> one, one of my students before the Maya lecture said, like, well, where have you been in Mexico? And I'm like, well, I've been to Nuevo Laredo. <laughs> 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 I hit all the world heritage.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm thinking I want to take my nephew to Teotihuacan
1: uh, certainly oh, before should. he leaves yeah you should I mean it's amazing I've never been but it's amazing it's amazing to teach about it it's
0: well great, and I've great. been there a couple of times it's it's nice uh-huh. uh, like really yeah. really nice and um, you know it's just about four hours from here there's no reason not to go down
1: it's between where you are in Mexico City, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So it was like up north out of Mexico City. <clears throat> and uh, you one of the one of the great, well, one of the great, I'll give you a little fact about Teotihuacan now, like, so it was abandoned at some point, and there were squatters living in it, like in the 900s.
0: Oh, I had no idea.
1: Squatters, yeah, you said squatters living in Teotihuacan, which is a pretty good gig.
0: Yeah.
1: You can get it. Um, well, speaking of Aztec blood sacrifices, uh, we had uh, another mass school shooting last week in Florida. So that puts it in our territory and especially in my territory. Um, so I guess we should talk about that.
0: Uh, well, I mean, the, uh, the details, I actually have gone out of my way not to indulge too much. Yeah. Like I saw that there was some sure. cell phone footage from inside the school And stuff like that, and I just didn't want to go near that with a ten-foot pole. But I've been—it's to me—it's been interesting watching the reaction and the media Mm -hmm. reaction, the social media reaction, Mm -hmm. um, uh, the sort of the insanity of the reaction to the reaction, where the kids who Mm -hmm. went through that are being accused of false flag action and receiving death threats from. People who are afraid that their case against uh, unfettered gun ownership is too convincing, I guess.
1: Uh, From the, um, you mean from the, not a death threat, but you mean being accused by the committee woman for the Republican Party of Oklahoma County?
0: Uh, I don't doubt that, but actual death threats, too. They're getting online, like they're abandoning their social media accounts because they're being.
1: Yeah, I uh, mean, of course. Of course, and so yeah. As to the videos, like I think I saw some like the day it was going on. So I was like, "What? What is this?" But you know, I don't, I don't need to see that stuff either. Um, But so I'm teaching a social problems class this semester too. So it's been really interesting to me because before this happened, I was having them propose paper topics, and I had at least three. Students and these are 18, 19-year-olds, at least three students say they wanted to write about school shootings. And I kind of thought, it wasn't like a major thought, but I remember thinking briefly, like, oh, that seems, I guess. I mean, is that like really, is that something we're thinking about? Is that something we're writing about? And then, you know, all of this happened, and I realized, you know, I'm dumb. Of course, if you're an 18- or 19-year-old who just got out of high school in America, it's something that you think about probably all the time, I would imagine.
0: Well, yeah, or at least in the background, the way that I used to think about uh, the the Soviets and the nuclear bomb. Uh, you know, they right. have, yeah. they have so, drills in their schools all the time, like we used to have drills just... Uh, and that's insane. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I spent the 80s convinced that we were going to have a nuclear bomb dropped on the school, so I guess, you know, something like that. You know, in... um. Japan, uh, what year was it? There was a horrible stabbing where this crazy guy got into elementary school and he just killed a bunch of kids. It was really horrible. So since then, Japanese schools, we have to do this training with um, we have a really long stick with like a U on the end of it. And a, a policeman comes by the school and acts like a maniac. And you have to figure out how to kind of trap him and pin him to the wall with the stick with the U on it. Um. um. But yeah, I, I know about that attack because every time
0: that I see a heterodox conversation in social media about, <laughs> they bring it gu- up. about banning certain guns or about gun control, there's always yeah. somebody who says, well, you can kill people with knives, too. What, are you going to have knife control next? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you can yeah, do that be- with a stick with a U on the end of it. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, you can, and also Japan has strict sword control. So, yeah, the guy went in with a knife. And, and, you know, it's a horrible, morbid thing to say, but in mass-killing events in Japan, the people that die are old people and kids, and that's because that's who are vulnerable people to someone with a knife. And that's horrible, but that's the way it is. Like, if he ran into a junior high school, he would have gotten his ass kicked by the kids that I taught, right? He would have gotten nailed to the desk within about five seconds. Uh, But, you know, and the other example you hear is the, the... The completely deranged psychopath that went in the home for disabled people where he had worked in Japan and murdered like 19 people or 17 people, 19, something like that, in the middle of the night, right? So it's like, yes, you can sneak into a home for people who cannot defend themselves, which is why they're there, and go through and murder them in their sleep. I acknowledge that is completely possible to do without a gun. It's no no big news. Well, so much of the argument about all of this is
0: founded on fantasies about who people are and what people do and uh, what can and will be done in any given uh, situation. And it's sort of appalling to me how all sides latch on to real aspects of tragedy and say there see mm-hmm. here's an example of my abstract argument see the right. um, uh, the the hired cop the security guard didn't go in and try to uh, hunt this guy down with his handgun and so therefore it proves that more guns in school doesn't do any good and it's like well I don't think we need that to say that more guns in school isn't a good idea. But also I have, you know, I have a certain amount of sympathy for that guy. It's like, I don't know what the protocol is. Like, are you supposed to go alone into a school uh, with a handgun, no matter who you are, to try to track down a guy with a rifle? Is that maybe you are? I don't know.
1: Well, it's also like, yeah, I don't know what the rules of engagement are. And I haven't heard anyone talk about the, these, the proposed rules of engagement, which are important. But it's also, yeah, the guy's a human being, right? And that's what ha- and happens. People are so just dumb about violence. People are dumb about violence because they don't think about it and they don't understand what it is. And so, like, you know, you, there's studies about how they train people in the military. And the hardest thing to get them over is like responding, right? Like like somebody's trying to kill you. You now need to kill them. That's the, that's something that's not uh, conditioned into people. And we pretend that it is because we live in a militarized society. We pretend those are values that we share. That's something that we can do, and you can't, right? So there's um, – oh, I always forget his first oh, – Harold, Harold Shapira at University of Texas. He's a really good researcher. I like him a lot. He's a nice guy. He does a lot of work on um, – Ethnographies of like gun training in Texas, yeah, uh, and one of his one of his big findings is that uh, the majority of training on guns is not technical ability. Technical ability on guns is pretty easy to teach. Um, it's telling people that they are justified in shooting someone, right, and providing them with justification for shooting someone because most people. Um, don't want to have that responsibility and don't want to do that and don't want to bear that burden. Right. Uh, I think they call that being a sane, empathetic person. Sure. Which is what I'm getting at, which is, I think that two things, one, we don't realize the burden that we put on people in the military and the people who are in combat in the military to say like, you, you do have to do that and you are going to have to live with that because most people, I realize it because I grew up in a military area and like a military family that, there's, most people don't deal with people who have killed other people in a war, but you don't want to. You don't want to ask people to take that on, right? It's not pretty afterwards. Um, and the other thing is that if you're if you're now so with the things proposed, like maybe teachers should have guns, maybe vets should be armed in schools, you the people who will like self-select, the people who will volunteer to do that, are probably not the people that you want in that situation. Well,
0: yeah. And also, if you've got a whole bunch of civilians running around with guns, when the cops do show up, how do they know which one is a shooter, which one isn't? Um, uh, I suspect that maybe part of the way that they might decide might be uh, just by appearance, which would be especially bad for the people who always get shot in these situations.
1: Sure. And, you know, I mean, we have the example of Philando Castile, who was a school employee who was the cafeteria employee. Right. And he was licensed to conceal carry armed and uh, completely acted in the exact manner you're supposed to act. And the police still shot him. Right. Well, I think that's what I
0: meant when I said the people who usually get shot. Yes. No, I know that's (laughs) what you meant. I'm
1: just elaborating. Like, I mean, we know we know what happens. And combine that with we also know. Um, there's tons and tons of research about who gets disciplined more in schools. And from the preschool level on, it's like black boys, right? <clears throat> we know that. Um, and then second, I think like black girls get more. So I don't know how you think that you're going to discontinue that trend once you arm teachers. I mean, we, know, we know if we arm teachers, I mean, I know that, that a black kid's going to get shot by a white teacher and that kid's not going to be armed. Do you want to deal with that situation now? Is that a situation that's going to be healthy to have in your school? Or just like, Uh
0: you know, it's like I can't imagine keeping track of anything. And, and, you know, I wouldn't self-select to do it. And I think most people who are talking about it. But just, I don't know, I don't even want to justify it with talking about the myriad ways that it's the stupidest idea ever. Um, but uh, I did uh, put up a thing recently on, again on social media, but it was about New York City cops, which are relatively well trained cops, and how often they actually hit their targets when they're firing at, when they're forced into a situation where they're firing at a person. They miss a lot more than they hit. And in a school, I can't imagine that being a good thing. Uh, and I can't imagine teachers being as well trained. In firearms, as um, as uh, New York City cops are, uh, yeah, and, like 18%, they're full, and they're right? fully trained in a way that yeah. that um, that teachers wouldn't be.
1: Yeah, and I believe it's like the stats from World War II something like ninety percent of people who fired arms in combat didn't even fire at the enemy because it's not it's just not something we. So I, it's the point I was saying. But it's we have such a militarization of society, especially since nine eleven, that we think that everyone can just turn into an operator, right? And you can just do that. That's just what you can do, and it's not. It requires lots of intense training to make people uh, be able to respond to being fired at and fire back. It's not just yep. something that happens to people. Um, and I think the worst, the the worst case scenario, the worst people are the people who. Are really enthusiastic about thinking that they're the people to fill that role. I think that's dangerous.
0: Yeah. I was actually, I was talking to a friend of mine online and she uh, works with horses a lot. And she was talking about how stables always have a door into the center of the barn and um, then another door to the outside. And she said, you know, maybe they should build schools like that. So that there's always an exit to the outside and the inside. And I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a good idea. I don't know if it would do anything. But I'd love somebody approaching it as an architectural problem, as a planning mm-hmm. problem, uh, looking for a solution that isn't how can we get more guns firing in a school
1: yeah, the only thing I worry about with that is I worry that we go the architectural solution that we know, which is kind of the uh, Foucault-esque, um, we just turned the school into a prison, and and then there we are. Now Now we've got it. The whole thing's locked down. Everybody's locked down. And that's the other angle I go with this. Like, say we put highly trained law enforcement officers in schools. We know what happens there, too. It's like uh, kids, we already have a school-to-prison pipeline. Now we've just added another, like a... Uh, Accelerator in there, yeah. yeah just a, yeah. Here you go. And um, I believe I haven't looked at the numbers on it, but that happened after Columbine in Colorado, where they hired a lot of police to be in schools, and all that went up was the number of arrests. Right? I mean, yeah. there's no real way to have a stat for how many school shootings it uh, prevented. Like we don't, we don't know, but we do know that a lot of people got arrested. And like with any arrest stats, you know what the biases are going to be in those, right?
0: and even if they, those biases weren't there arresting children just doesn't sure. seem like and there's a yeah, whole tendency for that school yeah. behavior
1: right yeah yeah i mean i'm you know i'm trying to think i mean i wasn't that horrible in high school but i mean i know i punched a guy in the back of the head one time i could have gone to jail for assault right i know kids who
0: have had to go to court for assassing their teachers
1: and that's dumb
0: yeah But it was a consistent pattern of sass and therefore worthy of um, (laughs) time in our juvenile court system.
1: And, and you know, that makes me nuts. Just thinking of, like, we're going to help kids by putting them in the system, right? I mean... But the idea isn't really to
0: help kids. The idea is to make the system smoother. And I understand that the rationalization is there's a lot of kids who are really good kids who are here to learn and so if we get rid of these problem makers then we're really really serving the kids who are here to learn mm-hmm. but um, I always say that you know it's like if those were the only kids in schools we wouldn't need teachers we could do it all with like, issue them some books, give them some online work, and uh, if there were no problem kids, there wouldn't be a need for teachers.
1: Yeah, and also, the the quote-unquote good kids are going to have to deal with problem kids the rest of their life, so they should probably learn how to get along together, right? Yeah, true. Um, it was always my opinion on it. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about this. And so I've been talking to my social problems class about this, and they were pretty quick in picking up on it too, which is that I think these kids from uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School have been incredible at advocating for themselves and uh, speaking out on this issue. So I don't mean any of my commentary to detract from them. I completely support them. They're very, very good at it. But it's been curious to watch – the reaction to them, which is gained traction, as opposed to, um, well, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but in 2013, there was a group called the Dream Defenders. Have you ever heard of the Dream Defenders?
0: I don't remember them, no.
1: Yeah, see, that's the thing. And so I was in Florida at that time. I think I was between my master's and PhD program. And so I was living in Florida. I was uh, working in political stuff. And the Dream Defenders was a really big deal for a little bit. But what it was, was in the wake of the Trayvon Martin uh, killing, there was a group and I believe mostly led by people of color that went and occupied the state house in Florida for 31 days I think it was 31 days to try to get a hearing on repealing the stand your ground laws um, and they were not successful but it was a big deal, they lived, They occupied it, they occupied the, uh, the old capitol building and um, they, they had, like, Julian Bond went there, out there, uh, Jesse Jackson was there, uh, Talib Kweli, the rapper, was, was there, and they had a, they were really strong, really well organized, and in a strange coincidental turn of events there, the, the person who was in charge of the subcommittee that would do this hearing is my dumb, dumb congressman, Matt Gaetz, uh, now, who said he wouldn't change, I believe his quote was, he wouldn't alter one damn comma of Stand Your Ground because he always likes to act like a tough guy. And uh, his quote about the dream defenders was, I think you have protesters in the Capitol today who are protesting without a whole lot of knowledge about the fact patterns associated with Stand Your Ground. They are protesting for the sake of protesting, and we shouldn't capitulate to that. So he's always been a good guy. Matty Gates. Well,
0: you know, the whole, um, like the, the degree to which people will go to try to discredit You know, it's like you can argue against their points and you can even Mm -hmm. talk about them being young and having an emotional response, whatever you want to do. But Mm -hmm. to just say this wasn't well, the the worst, the most extreme is this wasn't real. All -hmm. these people are paid actors and it's like what fantasy, what bizarro world fantasy that comes out of where uh, we have a huge, huge conspiracy to fake a school shooting because we want to disarm people, I guess, so that the government can oppress them more. I don't even know what. I don't think they've developed it that far. It's just I want to deny a fact, and this is a way to deny the fact is to say it's all fake. Um, But it's just bizarre to me, and it's, it's... really disturbing and I saw a quote from Bill O'Reilly where he was talking about them being uh, like why Bill O'Reilly still being quoted I have no idea <laughs>
1: um,
0: but um, where he was saying you know we shouldn't be listening to these young uh, uh, hysterical people basically
1: yeah and it's so contingent on who's saying it too but you know I was, I was making the comment today that you know because uh, ben, little Ben Shapiro is all has his pants in a bunch about this as well, saying it's immoral for you to uh, make these emotional pleas, right? Uh, And he's trying to defend um, NRA spokesperson Dana Loesch, who's just been a foul human being forever. But I was making the point, like, you have to understand the outrage and that people like Bill O'Reilly and Ben Shapiro and Dana Loesch, they don't have any real... Investment in political change or politics in that kind of way—they they have a racket, right? And that is their arena that they have run their racket in. And well, so that's what I was going to say. You
0: know. Is that they're not they said so they're not making <laughs> emotional statements, but they're making a statement, mm-hmm. a series of of statements that are just pressing emotional buttons in their listeners.
1: Right as they should. Right as they should.
0: Well, no, I mean the I mean the uh, uh, the NRA people and Bill O'Reilly and all that. Like they act like they're being somehow they're being the adult rational voices in the. Oh no, yeah, but they're just being manipulative and uh, pushing other people's emotional buttons about their anxieties about not having their guns anymore.
1: Oh, sure. Them trying to say that emotion is a bad thing to have in a discussion is ridiculous, because that's exactly... Like, aren't you... Isn't it absurd that uh, transgender people are human beings? It's like Ben Shapiro's thing. It's like, oh, that's not an emotional argument? I mean, it's a dumb emotion, but you're making an emotional argument. Whereas, I saw my friend get murdered. Oh, we shouldn't bring that up. That's an emotional argument. There's always a
0: reason not to bring up anything inconvenient, I guess, um... uh or it's too soon yeah. or it's not relevant anymore there's always some it's too close or too far away in time too close or too far away emotionally uh, there's always some reason that um, you should just completely dismiss rather than engage any arguments about
1: good. So that's a role that I've, that I've seen with conservative people I know that like Rush Limbaugh was very effective at this originally and now there's a whole media complex to do it But which is to say, here's the reason you don't have to listen to this argument that might be effective, right? Like, I'm just going to run interference to make sure you don't have to listen to that argument. So... You know, I mean, that's the old Ted Kennedy thing, right? Like, uh, you know, and I don't, I don't know. I'm not a Ted Kennedy partisan. I don't know what happened to Chappaquiddick. I think he's probably a shitty human being. But that's the it's the Chappaquiddick thing, right? It's like, oh, Ted Kennedy proposed an education bill today. Well, you don't have to care about education because Chappaquiddick, right? Or, uh, you know, use any anything you can use to run interference. So now there's just a ton of people who will do it, and they're and for some reason their traction they get now is uh, crisis actors, which is. Uh, you know, both infuriating and just inhuman. Um, you know, I have a few acquaintances who are just enthralled with the crisis actor thing, and I always respond to them, well, I'm sure the parents at Sandy Hook will be pleased to learn that their children are still alive, or you could just tell us where they are, and they will never, ever respond to that because, I don't know, they don't... I don't know if they don't realize the callousness of what they're saying, or they've never thought it through that far, or they just don't care...
0: Well, when I get really, and I do, I get really frustrated when I see my good friends, my close friends, my sort of Mm -hmm. um, uh, comrades in arms uh, and on the same side and all the political stuff, and they trot Mm -hmm. out these dumb arguments, these fake memes, fake quotes, one thing and another, but I do have Mm -hmm. to say that I haven't seen the left do the same level of nutty and brutally cruel as um, the crisis actor thing, as just denying mm-hmm. that people existed because the way that they died is politically inconvenient to them. And there's a, there's other things, too, that are that, that extreme point in the right wing uh, just says all sorts of horrible, um, uh, twisted things that go beyond even the kind of what I guess the normal twisting and, yeah, and think, uh, bending of truth right. is these days. And I hate to see it. It happens on the left, and I see it there all the time. Maybe I see more of that because I have more people in my news feed, more people in my social circle mm-hmm. who are speaking from the left and who don't do basic fact-checking on their, the stories and uh, quotes that they put up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that it's inescapable that a a main feature of conservatism in America uh, is is a kind of cruelty, right? I just think it's there, and that I I really honestly think from conservative people that I know and been around is that is that there's a certain enjoyment in that kind of cruelty that just feeds them, and that it perpetuates kind of the conservative political project, and. I I suppose I I mean I could see that someone would say, No, that's just not the case. But I've seen it up close. I've you know, I know tons of people involved in conservative politics in Florida and I've been around them when just horrible, horrible things are said or brought up and they enjoy it, right? They enjoy it. And I think there's a lot of that kind of cruelty that that drives the movement itself. So I don't know.
0: Well I think so one you can certainly see it in the reaction to the students uh, and the and the sort of rising student movement uh, mm-hmm. in Florida, and to this, you know, Scott Peterson guy who didn't go into the school, and he's being sort of pilloried by the same people who thought that he should be there in the first place. Yeah,
1: um, and the and yeah. yeah I think it's, I mean, yeah, I saw that too. I saw like Trump, President Trump calls him a coward. It's like, I mean, that's really easy for you to say, right? Like you've never been, have someone firing a rifle in your vicinity. Um, I don't know. So speaking of this kind of casual cruelty, so we we had, I think we talked about it on here, we didn't, we, my local uh, Oklahoma County um, committee woman of the Republican Party, Sandra Atkinson, who jumped in on my Facebook page. Uh, Oh, yeah, we uh, talked about that last time. Yeah, photos of uh, Colin Kaepernick in blackface. Or, well, someone dressed as Colin Kaepernick wearing blackface. Then she insisted it wasn't racist. And then told me that she worked so that my illegal friends could live in America. Well, she was back on it with this, posting on her personal Facebook page that um, clearly these were crisis actors. That uh, it wasn't real. These were crisis actors. That they were smiling. That they were having a good time with it. And she got... Some small local publication. Um, uh, I want to give the correct accreditation to it. Sorry to call them small. I just wasn't familiar with them. It's the Pulse. Uh, it's so the support. They support fearless, fiercely independent local journalism. So good for them. So the Pulse ran with this story. They found this that she wrote about on her Facebook page. So her actual, she she re posted a picture that said crisis actors and production team take a group selfie just before they have to go out and tell their heart wrenching stories on TV. And then her, she wrote above it crisis actors hired who didn't even go to the Broward County school. Okay. So the pulse uh, reported this on her and tried to get a comment from her and she flipped out. So, um, I wrote on their page asking about it. Some other people I know did. So I'm now blocked from looking at the Florida, uh, the Oakland County Republican page. I'm banned from looking at her page from before. But some people were able to get in these exchanges with her. And it was one of those complete sorry, not sorry. But it was like, okay, maybe they weren't crisis actors, but this whole thing is wrong and weird and blah, blah, blah. But today she had to issue an apology or this weekend. Um so here I'll read her apology. And she is a very bad writer, so I'm sorry. <clears throat> <laughs> I've had to I've had to delete comments on my personal page about Hogg, the son of a retired FBI special agent, because people were sharing with, including my retraction comments. The posts I made comments about were so convincing, even the president's son, Donald Trump Junior, liked a similar post on Twitter attacking Hogg. So if someone well, like man, him could get if, fooled.
0: If it fooled Donald Trump Junior, it must be pretty clever stuff.
1: We'll get ready for the next sentence. So if someone like him can get fooled, tricking me was a breeze. Facebook has (laughs) removed some of my posts. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Facebook has removed some of my posts. Sometimes I unfortunately got fooled. I'm not afraid to admit when I am wrong and eating crow never tastes good, but I still believe the students are being used. As Rush Limbaugh said, everything they're doing is right out of the Democrat Party's various playbooks. It has the same enemies, the NRA and guns. I never meant to imply in any way that lives were not affected, people were killed. It was horrific in our history in Florida and as a nation. I'm sorry for this misinformation that I posted. Um, So by... Yeah, sorry.
0: I was going to say, so by directly stating nobody was killed and these people are fakes, I didn't mean to imply that uh, nobody was killed and that these people were fakes.
1: Yeah, and it's right. I mean, she should have gone with her last two sentences. It was a horrific, well, she should have fixed it a little bit. It was a horrific in our history in Florida and as a nation. I'm sorry for this misinformation. This misinformation that I posted was sufficient, I think. Right? Yeah. But this, it really bothers me that she never, she refers to the young man just by his last name about Hogg. Hogg, she calls him Hogg. And then um, this whole thing about saying, well, his father's a retired FBI. Agent, so now you know, now they love cops but hate the FBI, so that's brought in, and the whole thing is just so very odd. I and she's a very bad writer, but so and I made this argument before about her racism, but it's not that I have, I don't care about Sandra Atkinson, the committee woman for Okaloosa County. Whatever. But it's the most reliably Republican district in Florida, maybe in the country. They're directly responsible for the rise of Matt Gaetz, who is now a congressman and a very strong ally of Donald Trump, whose first bill was to repeal the EPA and then has been behind all of the release the memo nonsense, right? So this kind of local garbage helps perpetuate the system that we live in. So I think me saying that there's some tie-in here between conservative politics and this kind of mindless cruelty, I don't think I'm completely off base. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. So anyway, that was her uh, apology. On a more positive note, and I'm sad that Chad isn't here for this because this would be right up his alley, um, Braves legend, recent Hall of Famer, the best switch-hitting third baseman of all time, Chipper Jones, had an interview with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution this weekend, or today, where he says there is no need for civilians to own assault rifles. Um, and I don't know how familiar with Chipper Jones you are, but a few things about Chipper not, Jones is, one, he... yeah,
0: not as Not as familiar as you might imagine.
1: Yeah. Well, is it, you know, if you are a baseball fan in the South, he is iconic, right? He's an iconic figure. He was the best... One of the best players of my generation and beloved by Braves fans. Uh, our dog was named after him. Um, oh, yeah, Chipper. So, and also he is um, a just a prototypical Florida redneck, and I mean that as, as as the same right. So he everything that's kind every everything that I find endearing and lovable about rednecks, he is also a lot of the things I find frustrating, right? But he even has his own show on like the Outdoor Network or something where he goes bow hunting, right? But yeah. so it's not a small thing for him to say that we don't need civilians, don't need assault weapons, right? So here's um, his quote: I would like to see something new legislation happen. I liken it to drugs. You're not going to get rid of all the guns, but AR-15s and AK-47s and all this kind of stuff, they belong in the hands of soldiers. Those belong in the hands of people who know how to operate them and whose lives depend on them operating them, not with civilians. I have no problem with hunting rifles and shotguns and whatnot, but I'm totally against civilians having those kind of automatic and semi-automatic weapons. Yeah, that's a completely reasonable position for, I think, someone who grew up in Florida uh, and, and who clearly is money. not
0: anti-gun.
1: Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so the new poll numbers are showing like that's overwhelmingly supported by reasonable people, right? And so I think that's why the hysterical—well, hysterical is such a little word—the completely craven freakout on the right is—I um, think that's what it's in service to, right? Is this saying we have to push back as quickly as possible against rising public sentiment that these guns shouldn't be in our society. But if Chipper Jones is out there saying this in a newspaper interview, I mean, I think that the the worm has turned.
0: I want to ask you about a couple of things that I know are happening, Uh and I'm not sure what effect they're having, and I don't know if you know or not. But the first is uh, there's been a lot of talk about students walking out of schools.
1: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Do you know if that's happening and if there's an effect?
1: I'm way down here in Mexico. We're not walking out of school here. Um, well, so oh, last week, a bunch of kids in Florida walked out in solidarity, which is great. And there was different places across the nation they did. There are larger ones being planned for later. I know I think the national one is going to be March 24th. There's been a few days bandied about Uh, So I think as those get more organized and coalesce, there'll be more about it. But, you know, one of the things was Oprah Winfrey and George Clooney have given half a million dollars each to to making that march happen. And a few other prominent people have. So, I mean, it's going to be a well-organized movement at this point. But, yes, I think... Um, I think that that is the step, the rational step to take is if you're a high school kid, a high school teacher, I would even say for us at university, is to say we're striking from school until you can actually put forward legislation about this. I think that would be a completely good social movements technique to use.
0: So the other thing I was going to ask if you knew anything about is Mm -hmm. the apparently there are some companies starting to pull their sponsorship of the NRA Mm due to uh, pressure from consumers and do you know anything about Uh, that because I've just read a
1: little bit yeah a bunch of rent-a-car places have a bunch of banks have I think the ones that have stayed is FedEx right now um uh, yeah, FedEx has been the one that's been they've been pushing, and FedEx says they're not going to drop NRA discounts. And the NRA responded like, well, we don't care. Like These are not important to us. But then someone who was showing that uh, they've been advertising that you can have discounts, and a large amount of their membership uh, can be not necessarily demonstrated, but it is, there's a lot of evidence saying that a lot of their membership is based around being able to get these discounts, right? Uh, so Delta is one that's dropped them. Um, Avis Rent a Car, uh, let's see, United Airlines, Best Western, MetLife. Yeah, so there's been a lot that have dropped them, which is great to see. I don't know if that's the solution, but it's nice that the NRA is becoming an organization that people don't want to be associated with.
0: I think that's good. And also, that's that mm-hmm. much less money that they can buy and sell Congress people with. It makes him less scary sure. to elected officials.
1: Yeah, that. And I think just in our public discourse, if the NRA is something that's like, uh, oh, you're involved with that, that's bad. I think that's a great reaction if we could we could have it.
0: You know, I kind of thought way back when uh, um, George H.W. Bush resigned from the NRA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that they were that they, that we were on the edge of a sea change then. But uh, but this is all seems more significant than one uh, politician who Republicans even at the time called him a wimp. Like.
1: Um, yeah, it, that was over the jackbooted thugs quote, right? The Wayne LaPierre calling government agents jackbooted thugs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. But I also think around that period of time, like gun culture was fundamentally changing too, I feel like. I feel like that's right around when it got weird on me. I've been surprised
0: at how many of my friends who are gun owners like I am and like a lot of my family is, and one thing and another, but yeah. uh, at how many of them are saying that they think, you know, background checks and um, uh, that a certain things that uh, people tend to draw the line at registration, which seems really weird to me. I like the idea uh-huh. of insurance.
1: Yeah. And Just liability. mandatory
0: insurance. And it's like, yeah, you can carry yeah. a gun, but you have to be insured against liability.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely.
0: Although the downside of that is that it keeps the wealthy and the middle class armed, and uh, uh, I don't know that the poor need guns as much or more than anybody else, but uh, anything that is unduly discriminatory against against the poor, even if it's gun ownership, seems like it's uh, problematic, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's probably a conversation for a different day. But, you know, there are left wing socialist, communist arguments for people being armed. And I, th- I find some of them uh, persuasive to a degree. But, uh, I mean, that's that's a huge argument. I got yelled at by some socialists uh, this week. Well, not yelled at on the internet, which isn't really getting yelled at, but um, <clears throat> which was strange because I I think some, someone was saying, like, I'm really surprised at how many people who call themselves socialists uh, are like, have a problem with guns. And, um, I was like, well, you know, when, when you lose friends to gun violence, you find that you think that they're far less cool than you might otherwise be able to. And then one of them being as a, you know, as a socialist myself, we can be stupid sometimes responded. Well, do you know how many of my friends have died due to capitalism? I was like, okay, all right. That's, yeah <laughs> ridiculous uh of course yes and also of course no right and also i don't and we're going far afield here but i don't understand why they don't see that their attraction to guns is also part of uh commodity fetishism as well right like you're buying guns from the same company that all of the other people are buying guns for and they're convincing you that guns are useful and cool in the same way they're convincing people you disagree with they're useful and cool yep yeah, and I thought, I hadn't seen this before, I thought Chris Hayes made a very good point about this in one of his books where he says that um, kind of counterintuitively, the more the public arms himself, the more the state prepares itself to meet the public on military terms, right? So uh, you think that you are arming yourself to battle the state, but then the more arms kind of that are out there in the public, the more the police force justifies being militarized and um, making every... Encounter with the public, a, a potentially violent encounter. Yeah,
0: um, that makes absolute sense. <sighs> okay.
1: Well, I'm sure this story will progress throughout the week, so we can talk more about it next week when we have uh, Chad comes back from covering spring training. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, um, thanks, Wes. Yeah. Thanks. I will see you next time. Yep. Night. Good night.